Well, good morning. Greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. You can turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32 this morning. We're looking at a week of revival meetings here as a congregation, and I did not plan this morning to share particularly a pre-revival message, but I think this morning does lend itself to the question, a question that could be part of our thought process as we go through a week of revivals. And that question is this, what will you do with what you hear? So the things that you hear during our revival meetings, what will you do with those things? The message is a continuation of four messages that I'm preaching about God and humanity. And the first message was God and the thing I value most. And there was something I thought about later that I thought I would share this morning. And that has to do with, with we talked about the children of Israel when they made an idol in there at Mount Sinai. They took gold, they took their gold and they gave it to Moses and he formed an idol. And then Moses, or they gave it to Aaron. Then Moses came down the mountain and saw what was happening. He ground the idol to powder, threw it in the water and made him drink the water. So you're going to give, if you, whatever you make God in your life, you're going to give what's valuable to that thing. That's what they did. They gave their gold to make that idol. And if you give your valuable things to the wrong things, it's going to be consumed. And it's probably going to be consumed by you. That's what happened. They drank their valuable things in that water. It got consumed by them. The second message was, who dares to say he believes in God? And if you believe in the God of the Bible, you believe that God is watching over your moral decisions. He's watching over what you're doing. He's observing what you do. And He's concerned about what you're doing. Will that not change the way you live in a radical way? Wouldn't the person who believes in the God of the Bible be very concerned about deviating from his path? About deviating from what God wants? And this message this morning kind of follows along that line of thought or maybe builds on that line of thought. And the title of the message this morning is Israel, the people of God. So Israel is the name that has been given to God's people down through the years. What does that mean? Are we part of the people of God? As believers, are, are Christian believers part of the people of God? Where did the name Israel come from? And the foremost question that I want to think about, and I'm going to repeat this question a couple times during the message, and that is, who are the people of God? 
So Genesis chapter 32. This is, this is a unique story to me, an interesting story. And I grew up hearing stories from the Bible as a young child. And sometimes today, I look at these stories and I suddenly realize how unique the story is. You know, it was just a story that I heard. It was just a story that was told. But this is a really unique story. I want to think about Jacob's story a little bit. So when he was born, he had a twin. He was a twin. And when he was born, he was holding on to the heel of Esau. And hence his name, Jacob, which means supplanter or heel holder. So then as he grew up, he bargains with his brother Esau over the birthright, the eldest son's right, which Esau was born first. And then his mother encourages him to steal Esau's blessing, the blessing that was supposed to go to the firstborn. And he does that. As a result of that, Esau's angry. And he runs away from Esau. And on the journey away from Esau, he has this dream and he sees this ladder going up to heaven and the angels of God going up and down on this ladder. And then he goes on to his mother's brother Laban and he spends roughly 20 years there. And he marries two wives. And he has 12 Actually, 11 sons at the, at the point of this story takes place. And he acquires a lot of possessions. But there with Laban, he kind of gets some of his own medicine. He gets some tricks played on him by Laban. Some deceit. And eventually he flees back to Canaan or leaves and goes back to Canaan, runs away from Laban. Laban chases after him, and the night before he catches up with him, God appears to Laban in a dream and says, don't harm this guy. And so they make a peace treaty, and Jacob goes on his way from there. I'm going to start reading it, chapter 31, verse 55. And early in the morning, Laban arose and kissed his sons and daughters and blessed them, then Laban departed and returned to his place. So Jacob went on his way. The angels of God met him. Then Jacob, when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's camp. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau his brother in the land of Seir, the country of Edom. And he commanded them, saying, Speak thus to my lord Esau. Thus your servant Jacob says, I have dwelt with Laban, and stayed there until now. I have oxen, donkeys, flocks, and male servants, and female servants, and I have sent to tell my Lord that I may find favor in your sight. Then the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau. He also is coming to meet you, and 400 men are with him. So Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. He divided the people that were with him, and the two flocks... Sorry. And he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies. And he said, if Esau comes to the one company and attacks it, then the other company which is left will escape. 
So Jacob goes on, he leaves Laban and he goes on on his trip to to Canaan. But he has one big problem. And that big problem is his relationship with Esau. What's he going to do about it? When he left Canaan, Esau was planning to kill him. What was he going to do with Esau? So, I'll send a message to him. That was his first mode of response to what Esau wanted, to what Esau was doing, or what he thought, how he thought he might make amends. And so he sends out these messengers, and the messengers come back and they say, he's on his way to meet you and he's got 400 men with him. What does this look like to Jacob? This looks like an army coming to destroy him. This looks like a problem, a big problem. And so he splits up his company and he says, you know, maybe maybe one or the other of this company is going to be able to escape. And then we get to verses 9 through 12. Then Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord who said to me, return to your country and to your family and I will, dwell, I will deal well with you. I am not worthy of the least of all the mercies and all the truth which you have shown to your servant. For I crossed over this Jordan with my staff and now I have two companies. Deliver me, I pray, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and attack me and the mother with the children. For you said, I will surely treat you well and make your descendants as the sand of the sea, which can not be numbered for multitude. And so when Jacob faces this, he splits the company in two, and then he prays. And what does he say in that prayer? Well, first of all, he identifies who he's praying to. God of my fathers. And then he reminds God that he had promised him something. Then he admits that he's already been blessed far beyond what he deserves prior to this point. Then he makes a plea for deliverance. And then he reminds God of other promises that he has made to him. He appeals to God on the basis of his promises. Jacob acknowledges God. He humbles himself, but he gets a hold of what God has promised him and he won't let go. He says, here is what you have promised me. Deliver me on the basis of what you have promised. We kind of finished up the last message in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Do you believe in the promises of God? Do you believe He's able to do what He promised? Romans 4.16 Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace to the end. It is of faith that it might be by grace to the end the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is the faith of Abraham who is the father of us all. Are we the children of Abraham? As it is written, I made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, 
who quickeneth the dead and calleth those things that be not as though they were, who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations. According to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about a hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. So Abraham believed in the promise of God even though he was too old to have children. He did not consider that it was too hard for God to fulfill His promise even though he and his wife were both too old to have children. He believed the promise of God. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief but was strong in faith giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he had promised he was able also to perform. He was convinced that God was able to perform His promises. And that same thing is coming up here in Jacob's life. Jacob is appealing to God because God promised this. And he believed that God is able to perform it. So what does that mean? Well, it means that belief... Part of what it means is that belief isn't just what I say, but what I act out. So what's Jacob going to do if he really believes this? What's he going to do? What's going to happen next? And Jacob's belief in God is the root of what happens in these following verses. His faith, belief in God, being able to fulfill his promise. So I'm not going to read the next couple verses, but Jacob doesn't just roll over and play dead after he's, he prays this prayer for deliverance. He prepares a gift, a large gift for Esau. He divides it into three groups. He sends those out one at a time and gives them instruction about what they should say when they meet Esau. In verse 28, he says that he's attempting to appease Esau with these gifts. Verse 20. During the night, he moves his family and possessions across the brook. These aren't decisions of a man who is preparing to flee. These are decisions of a man who is going on and facing his brother Esau. If he wanted to flee, he'd have been going back in the opposite direction. He'd have been running away. He was going forward to Canaan. God had asked him to go back to Canaan. God had told him it was time. And he was going back to Canaan. And he was letting the results of what was about to happen into the hands of God. Who are the people of God? The underlying principle is the people of God are the people who have this kind of a faith-belief relationship with the promises of God. The promises of God are sure they will be fulfilled and I'm going to act as if they are fulfilled already. That's how my life is going to be ordered. That's the underlying principle. So visuals help me a little bit. I'm going to pass around two pictures. I want you to just take a look at these pictures. They're probably not in any way authentic but they're the body of what this message is about. And so hopefully the picture will just give you something to put into your mind to start with.
So the one picture, it's represented like often a picture of an angel. And uh, Jacob says that it's God who he had wrestled with. So, like I said, they're probably not in any way authentic. I don't know that a picture of an angel represented as that would be authentic anyway. But it gives us an idea. It gives us something to think about. We'll start reading again at chapter, I mean at verse 24. And read to verse 29. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. Now when he saw what he did, when he saw that he did not prevail against him, he touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaks. But he said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name should no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked, saying, Tell me your name, I pray. And he said, Why is it that you ask about my name? And he blessed him there. So as as you go through this passage, you see Jacob assigning this man divinity. And I don't know if it's because of where they were camped, which was in verses 1 and 2, where it says the angels of God met him, but they were camped at that place. And Jacob had sent his family across the brook. He was there by himself, and he meets this man. And it's just a man. But Jacob assigns him to be divine. So in verse 25, this man sees that Jacob is not giving up. Now, the first thought is that, you know, if they were wrestling, one of them was trying to defeat the other. If this man had the power to dislocate Jacob's hip with a touch, would he not have had the power to defeat Jacob at will? I think the logical answer is yes. He would have. If this is God, would he have had the capacity to defeat Jacob? Yes. But I don't believe he is trying to defeat Jacob. He's testing Jacob's resolve. He's testing his commitment. Well, Jacob continued to strive, and he does continue to strive. And then he reaches and touches his hip. So he touches his flesh. He touches his area of strength. If you're wrestling in... If you're standing and you're wrestling with someone, your hips are the vital part of your strength. And the angel reaches, or God reaches and touches his hip. Dislocates his hip. You think that was painful? Probably so. You've dislocated a joint. I've heard stories about dislocated joints. And it's extreme pain. Will Jacob stop? Will that stop his wrestling? He doesn't stop wrestling. He continues to wrestle. And the day's breaking. And this man says, let me go for the day is breaking. And Jacob says, 
I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob was willing to wrestle for the blessing from God. Through the pain, through the struggle, he was willing to keep hanging on. And what is the blessing? The man says, what's your name? And he says, you're not going to be called Jacob anymore. But you're going to be called Israel, which means Prince of God. Because you have struggled with God and man and have prevailed. So there's the idea here of, of the struggle that was part of why he was called Israel. Because he has struggled with God and with man and prevailed. So who are the people of God? There are the people who are willing to stand up and face adversity and to reach out and claim the promises of God. And as God brings tests into their lives, they're willing to continue to wrestle and strive even when their strength is touched. They're willing to press on. And when the day is breaking, they say to God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Is that where you're striving? Brothers and sisters and friends, do not expect life to be easy. In difficulty, to whom will you pray? There's a new thought for me, but I think it's true. That you will wrestle with whoever you believe in. Whoever or whatever you believe in. That's what you will wrestle with. I'm going to leave that there for you to think about. But here are some areas that we will wrestle, taken from this story. The coming of Esau represents our struggle because of our failure. Jacob stole from Esau, and he was in trouble because of his failure to do right in the past. So it's wrestling with sin. In Hebrews 12, verse 4, it says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh to you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and, that, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, meaning God, for our profit, that, he might, that we might be partakers of his holiness. So that we might partake of his holiness. He brings chastisement into our lives. Wherefore, lift up the hands that hang down and the feeble knees. Wrestle on. The call here in Hebrews is that you've not yet resisted to blood striving against sin. How far are you willing to go to deal with the things that you need to deal with in your life? And I think every one of us would recognize that we all have things that we need to deal with in our lives. 
And we've done things in the past we shouldn't do. And are we willing to deal with those things and do whatever it takes to deal with those things all the way to blood? But we're not wrestling with our failure. We're wrestling with God for a blessing. What is our focus on as we wrestle? Where are we going to get the strength? Where are we going to get the victory? Jacob didn't have enough people to defeat Esau's 400 men. He needed a blessing from God to win. To come out okay. Hebrews 12.1 says, Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which this, this is the, the first verse of the passage I just read. Let us lay aside every weight in the sin which does so easily beset us and let, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. A call for us, for followers of Jesus Christ, to lay aside those things and press on. To strive. And then it says fixing our eyes on Jesus. Putting our focus on God. Turn to God and wrestle for a blessing. It is the only way to redeem your failure. The second thing we will wrestle with is the touch of Jacob's thigh. It represents the struggle of laying down the strength of our flesh. Laying down our own strength. Didn't Jacob need his strength to face Esau? Or for the journey beyond to finish up the trip to Canaan? Wasn't the most pressing thing that he be getting some rest so that when they, had, they faced Esau and had this battle, that he was prepared and he had the, the most strength possible? What was this unwanted visitor doing causing him to expend his strength in a wrestling match all night long? Or did he need something more? Did he need the blessing of God? More than he needed his physical strength. More than he needed his physical capacity. Maybe with the grace of God, he wouldn't need his strength at all. Paul said, And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pled with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What do you need more? Your strength or God's strength? What do you need more? Your ability or God's blessing? Philippians 3, 7. But what things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Those were the things that Paul had accomplished in his own strength. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ, and be found in Him, not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God, which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power 
of His resurrection. Do you need your power or do you need the power of the resurrection in your life? If by any means, and the fellowship of His sufferings and being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's not rolling over and playing dead. That's pressing on. That's struggling. That's striving for the blessing of God on my life. There'll be a lot of things that one encounter in life. There'll be pain. There'll be injustice. There'll be deceit. There'll be failure of people that we love. Those things will hurt. They'll be painful. What will you do? Will you give up? Will you quit? Or will you grip God tighter and say, I will not let you go unless you bless me? There's a third thing. This journey, of Jacob, this journey that Jacob was taking represents a wrestling with the will of God. God wanted Jacob to go to Canaan. He had instructed Laban, I mean, he had instructed Jacob to leave Laban and return to the land of his father Isaac. But God didn't want Jacob in Canaan. I just said God wanted Jacob in Canaan. But God didn't want Jacob in Canaan. He wanted Israel in Canaan. And Jacob had embarked on this journey. And God wanted this journey. It was God's will. And God wanted this journey to transform him. To do a work of transformation in him. This is about Jesus in Luke chapter 22. And he was withdrawn from them, went about a stone's cast, and kneeled down and prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And there appeared an angel unto him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat was as it were great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus wrestling with God in the garden in relation to the will of God. that God wanted to, to perform through him. Jesus was wrestling with that. Jacob was wrestling in this journey. And Hebrews 5, 7 tells us about Jesus, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of, of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. The end of the journey was eternal salvation. 
For the joy that was set before Him, He endured the cross. He went through the will of God because beyond that was eternal salvation. And the journey on the way to salvation for you will not be easy. It will have pain. It will have the cross. But it's God's plan to take you to the promised land. That's what He wants to do. That's where He wants to take you. But He wants to change you from Jacob to Israel. But it's not going to be your strength. You're going to have to wrestle. You're going to have to expend your strength wrestling with Him for a blessing. You're going to have to get a hold of God and not let go to be changed from Jacob to Israel. You're going to have to hold that grip until the day breaks. Who are the people of God? They are those who have received the blessing. And what is the blessing? It's a new name. Well, what's in that name? Israel is the prince of God. You know what a prince is? He's the son of a king. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father, wherefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. But there's something more about this name, Israel. It comes from two Hebrew words. The first one is said something like Saral. That's the first part of Israel. And it means to contend, to strive with. And the second is El, God. To strive with God. So who are the people of God? They're the people who are willing to get a hold of God and wrestle with Him. Not in a sense of overcoming Him, but in a sense of reaching for a blessing from Him with all of their being, through the pain, through the struggle, through the difficulties, through the failures. To hold on to God, hold on to a relationship with Him. That means more to you than anything else. And you're willing to leave your own strength behind and plead with Him for His strength. Plead with Him for His blessing. And that's how you're going to get to the promised land.